passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. You deserve the truth. The enemy is at our gates. The fight for humanity. I look at your faces. I do not see defeat. No! And I do not see surrender. Is far from over. You will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New season now streaming. Exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. What's up, y'all? Welcome on into the GoVols 24-7 podcast. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a sunny, bright, uh, but chilly uh, February morning here in God's Own Knoxville, Tennessee. Happy February to you. How are you? I hope you're well. Hope everything in your life is going great. I hope that the Tennessee's NCAA situation this week hasn't uh, complicated your wife, uh, life or wife, I guess, unnecessarily. I guess your wife could be involved uh, if she is. I hope things aren't going badly for her either or your husband or whoever it is. Guys, this has been a week, and there is a lot to catch up on. There is a lot to discuss, and I think it's time that we had a, a full, full, full fam damnly episode of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. So we're going to go across the horn here on my screen. Got Ben McKee, Ryan Callahan, and Patrick Brown. Fellas, how are we doing this morning? Doing well. I, 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 we got the we got the crew back together. I, I wish we had something to to debate more, but I'm not sure we're going to have a whole lot of debate on this episode. We'll see. But we'll see. <laughs> good oh, I, to, I, I have some we, topics that, oh, that okay. I could I, I I could bring up if Maybe if we wanted we to debate. I, I okay. have some I have some topics, but I I am I'm, I'm doing fine in Dandy West. Thank you for asking. Uh, very much looking forward to the second segment of this podcast where. 
Uh, we preview Tennessee and Kentucky with Patrick and Ryan and also recap Tennessee's loss to South Carolina on Tuesday night. Very excited to get Patrick and Ryan's thoughts on on the state of the basketball program. I'm doing well. Let's uh, let's get on to this NCAA stuff. Yeah, th- there's a lot of stuff there. For those who, I guess, uh, live under a rock or if the Go Vols 24-7 podcast is your only outlet for news so tennessee's in the ncaa mess again uh we'll we'll see where this goes and how long it lasts but um this has gotten awfully spicy awfully quickly tennessee uh, has been in is in the crosshairs of the ncaa again of course as you know tennessee under probation from uh the uh uh, i'm loving it stuff during the jeremy pruitt era there with the uh mcdonald's bags and the uh, you know, paying players and the the illegal COVID practices and all that other stuff that Tennessee threw itself under the bus for, put itself on probation, avoided serious penalties in terms of a postseason ban, certainly lost some scholarships and, and heavy monetary penalties and all that. But Tennessee was not uh, given a postseason ban. Now the NCAA seems to be circling again for a, a thicker pound of flesh. The vol- They're going after the Vols NIL situation, Tennessee uh, has taken this uh, about uh, as uh, fiercely as I think I've ever seen someone take uh, an early NCAA inquiry. This has uh, uh, basically been a double bird salute from the University of Tennessee to the NCAA. Uh, I think people, and I won't speak for, for everyone here, but I got the sense in speaking to people directly at UT, they have taken this very personally. They do not believe that these accusations are founded. They think they're being made an example of. They think they've done nothing wrong in terms of breaking any rules. And they very quickly um, were very, very, very upset about the way how quickly that information got out through the media. And that that certainly ruffled some feathers. And so Tennessee, uh, Dondi Plowman scorched the earth, just absolutely eviscerated the NCAA uh, in an email that we obtained and put up on the site in a story Pat wrote on Tuesday. Uh, and there has been quite a bit since then. There has been a, li- a lawsuit filed by the attorney ge- attorneys general. Remember, it's attorneys general of Tennessee and Virginia regarding antitrust laws with the NIL situation. Whoever wants to go first, guys, where where are we with this thing? It's been a wild couple of days here. Well, you, you said it, Tennessee's back in the NCA mess. It kind of sounds like the NCA is is in Tennessee's mess because Tennessee is um, uh, they're they're obviously not standing pat uh, with this situation, and and this is about. Um, sort of the recruiting side of NIL. I don't. I don't think the NCAA has ever really fought that current players that are currently in college could could earn NIL compensation. But uh, probably two of their main roles uh, amid the some call it the wild wild west of NIL is that you couldn't do pay for play, like you couldn't get extra pay, you know, payments for having three sacks in a game or whatever, uh, and you couldn't use recruiting as as inducements, and that's where. Uh, the argument is because I, I think Tennessee sees inconsistency in the NCAA uh, allowing, I, I guess, players and tra- you know, recruits and transfers to have NIL meetings, but they can't discuss NIL. Um, and then I think from a legal standpoint, uh, the lawsuit claim- argues that putting restrictions on that limits uh, a, a player, an athlete's ability to um, earn as much compensation a- as they can, which is obviously – uh, the, the, the big overarching result of, of the Supreme Court's ruling in the Austin case, where basically 
the NCA was classified as an antitrust organization because it was trying to cap how and how much players could make. So, um, and obviously a lot of this is, you know, there's a lot of stuff about the Nico stuff and I'm sure people are wondering why tenant, why they're after Tennessee again. It seems like the NCA has kind of gone back and, and looked at some of the, either the early adopters or some of the most high profile situations that there've been. Um, obviously Florida state was, you know, pretty aggressive early on. That's how they put together a roster that was so good this past season. Uh, Miami has been under investigation, right? I think they even had some sanctions for women's basketball because John Ruiz was like, we're going to pay everyone on campus. You know, they, they made multiple moves in multiple sports. Florida has been under investigation. Uh, that, that came out earlier this month, I guess not January anymore. So it was last month. Yep. You know, they had the Jaden Rashada situation, which was high profile in Tennessee's case. They had the Nico Yamaliava's alleged contract. Uh, so that was, you know, within the first year of NIL and he was obviously recruited at the time. So, um, that, that was a high profile situation that, you know, the NCAA has gone back and, and tried to put toothpaste back in the tube with, with its NIL governance and has tried to police this stuff retroactively. And, um, certainly Tennessee is, is not having it. And I think, uh, the, the letter from Dondi Plowman, which actually was sent to the NCAA president, Charlie Baker on Monday, before all this stuff came out saying that, you know, nobody's broken any rules here. We don't think we've done anything wrong. Um, you know, we, we believe we followed what NIL guidelines there were at the time, uh, which they obviously have, have been criticized for, for being vague. So uh, I think Tennessee clearly feels that they haven't done anything wrong. And so, you know, listening to a, an interview that Plowman did briefly yesterday, and she equated to if, if a family member or a friend of yours was uh, charged with something that they didn't do or that you thought was unfair, you'd fight for it. And, and that's sort of her stance. And um, you know, that that's, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because there's the legal aspect of it now with the lawsuit. Um, there's also the, the, you know, the, the university of Tennessee, it's athletic department, that side of it too. And, and we'll have to see if they get a formal notice of allegations and, and what, what goes on from there. Yeah. What I, what I've heard so far has, has been, uh, uh indications that not only is Tennessee not, uh, not freaking out about this. I, I, I don't, I don't think right now they're all that worried. Um, yep, I agree. I, I think, I think they feel they are completely in the right on this. Uh, I think they are confident in the way the the state has responded, the way the university has responded to all this. I think they believe they've changed the narrative since all of this came out on Tuesday. You know, the headlines, regardless of what you thought about the charges, the headlines, uh, as some people have pointed out on on the checkerboard on our site. Uh, the headlines were still, you know, that Tennessee, you know, is potentially a repeat offender with the NCAA, and and these these violations could mean could mean some serious punishment since they're still on probation from the last mess. Um, but th- this, you know, you've got Alabama fans going on fine bomb defending Tennessee. That's pr- pretty unusual, obviously. Um, a lot of national media, certainly not all of them, but a lot of national media have kind of jumped to Tennessee's defense. Uh, that there is a sense that this was a the, that this is headed toward being one of the cases, if not the case, that seemed from the start that it was inevitably going to happen. That the NCA, in an attempt to put the toothpaste back in the tube, is going to overstep on trying to enforce NIL, and someone's going to take them to court. Um, so now, obviously, the state, uh, the state of Tennessee, with Virginia, and then we'll see what other states might might join that lawsuit as uh, as suing the NCA, and it's. You know that that's got a, that's got the potential to 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 change the the the, the big picture for this in, in a pretty significant way. So I, you know, we'll see what the NCA's next move is. I mean, obviously it, it got to this point, and it usually gets to this point because the NCA is close or 
or or has gotten to the point where it's it's starting to work toward a notice of allegations. Uh, there obviously hasn't been one yet, but that certainly seems to be where things are headed. Um, so now we'll see what the NCAA's next move is. You know, do they still go forward with everything right now? Do they let this sort of play out and see what's going to happen legally with it? You know, they kind of shot back at Tennessee with the statement on Wednesday, um, warning that this is going to have some some negative impacts on on recruiting and the 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 quote unquote wild west atmosphere that there's been in recruiting uh kind of telling their member schools hey this is what you guys have complained about some of you anyway have complained about to us and don't want well this lawsuit's only going to make matters worse so it's uh it, it it's it's going to be an interesting situation just to kind of see where this goes from here but i think tennessee as things stand right now Feels, feels pretty at ease with things because I think they feel they've done nothing wrong, um, certainly by the letter of whatever law there is regarding NIL right now. Um, they, they feel they've got a collective that's handled things by the book, you know, kind of sep- separate um, operations where they've not had coaches negotiating NIL deals the way some schools have, frankly. Um, you know, they, they think they've done things the right way, and so they're ready to, ready to fight uh, the NCAA on this, and I think they feel they're in a good, good position right now. Absolutely. And and I think Ryan and Patrick have done a great job of expressing the the situation for, for what it is. I don't have a ton to add. Um I, I think if Tennessee didn't feel good about where things stand for them entering this mess, because this is going to be a very long, drawn out process. There there is no telling when when this will reach a, a resolution or have a finality to it. Uh, it, it's going to be a while. So if you're hoping there's a an answer soon, don't 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 get your hopes up because that that's just not going to happen. So uh, I, I think given where Tennessee thinks that it is at the start of this thing, I don't think Donnie Plowman goes on the offense of side of things the way that she did. If she and Tennessee did not feel good uh, about uh, where things stand, I think Governor Bill Lee doesn't get involved. Systems president. Um, Randy Boyd, Danny White, everybody who you've come out and and see really stand tall and firm against the NCAA, they're not doing so if they don't feel good about where Tennessee is at. And uh, my personal opinion is that Tennessee should feel good about where it's at um, because this is obviously this obviously all has something to do with Nico and 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 flights that he took as a recruit. Nico took those flights as essentially an employee of his employer, which is Spire Sports at the time. Nico could have gone to other schools as well. He could have gone to Oregon. He could have gone to Alabama or the other schools that he was considering at the time that that these flights were were being made. Tennessee has presented the receipts and and the facts of the situation, uh, that that it was not an inducement. Uh, He he was essentially an employee. It's no different than 24-7 or CBS flying the three of us out to go cover games, so sending me and Wes to New York to, to cover the NCAA tournament, sending Ryan all over the Southeast to cover recruiting, paying for our expenses, sending Patrick and myself to Orlando for the bowl game, paying for our expenses. To, to me, there's no difference in the two. That That's what was going on at the time with the flights. It was done by the letter of the law. And why Tennessee has now gone on the offensive side of things is because there really was no letter of the law. And that's why the NCAA is now being sued because they've bounced back and forth on what they want the rules to be if there were any rules to begin with. They, they have been very unclear 
about how they want things to proceed. So I, I think Tennessee should absolutely feel good, feel great going into this. I, I would be very, very surprised if, if the NCAA quote unquote comes out on top. I, I don't see how they're going to come out on top. I, I think you're going to see several states get involved. I think you're going to see several schools get involved. And I think those states and schools are going to be on the offensive side of things and really ta- attacking Tennessee like Tennessee or attacking the NCAA like Tennessee has. And, and again, I think Tennessee should feel really good about where it's at because I, I think they have a, a great case at, at what they're suing the NCAA for. And, and I do believe that Tennessee has handled everything by the book and, and have the evidence to prove that they handled everything by the book. Yeah. The only word of caution I would add is that we don't know exactly which cards everyone at the table is holding. I mean, there could be something out there that we don't know. And of course I I would say that Tennessee has a pretty damn good idea what cards are on the table uh, because I don't think you go on the offense quite that heavily unless you feel like you've got all of your ducks in a row. Uh, The other thing I thought was interesting was from the NCAA statement, it made pretty clear that, uh, Hey, we don't want this to go to court. Hey, do you really want this to go to court? You know, that you could see that in the NCAA's message. Like, hey, you know, this could make things worse and, and exacerbate things. Yeah, because you, you go to court, you lose. That's what you do. You go to court, you lose all the time. That kind of says what it says. Um, but I also think it's interesting that Tennessee's defense of this is sort of two-pronged in that, <clears throat> one, they're saying flat out, we did not do anything wrong. We did not break any rules. We think we've done everything exactly by the letter of the law. Number two, even if you think something was against the rules, what are the rules and when were they rules and were they rules at the time? That's an interesting argument because you're saying the blanket statement, we've done nothing wrong. But on top of that, you're also saying you've changed the rules. You've made this vague, you know, yada, yada. It's like, okay, well, maybe pick a lane there. I don't know. I, that that part confuses me a little bit. Maybe that's just giving yourself more leeway. I'm not a lawyer. I don't pretend to be one. I, I can't answer that question. I just thought from a common sense perspective, that's something that I looked at and I went, hmm, that seems a little bit odd um, because, you know, the everyone else is doing it. Defense has never worked. It didn't work in elementary school. It didn't work now. You know what I mean? Like that. that's never a good defense. But legally speaking, we didn't do anything wrong is a good defense. And B, uh, if there was a rule and you think we broke it, it still wasn't a rule at the time. That is a clear, concise, cogent defense. Um, I, I just I think some of those things were interesting to me because there's an element of this that does feel for Tennessee very personal. And I don't know exactly to what degree things have advanced in terms of investigations at other programs. But I do know that Tennessee feels like it has been targeted here. And while I've heard that kind of stuff from coaches before, I don't know that I've heard that very often, if ever from an, from administrators and, and the administration is not at all worried. It is pissed. It is furious. It is saying, listen, this school's already on probation. This school in the past couple of years has basically been as open and transparent with an investigation as any school has ever been. And you yourself, NCAA, you have admitted that. And this whole time, this stuff was out there and you didn't say anything about it. There were no issues. 
and you're going to come back now and come back with this, they feel like it's personal. I mean, I've heard different theories about how maybe the NCAA did not like the fact that Tennessee basically gave un- like unprecedented transparency and basically used uh, that whole investigation as a way to get rid of Jeremy Pruitt for free and avoid a bowl ban. And they felt like bigger punishments were owed there. And they came back for a pound of flesh this time to make up for that. There's been all kinds of theories out there. And I don't know that those matter because why something's happened isn't necessarily as important as what has happened. But I do know this feels very personal for Tennessee, like angry. Like you can see, you cannot deny that letter from Plowman to Charlie Baker. That was like the second or third draft of that letter, guys. Imagine, I mean, what was the first draft of that letter like? My goodness, like for that to be like every lawyer's checked the boxes and it's like, wow, still saying that? I think there's some anger there, guys. Well, yeah, I think there's clearly some anger, and I think the the cynical or, or maybe the rival fan response was, well, of course Tennessee's going to, but you know they're going to fight back because they have a lot to lose if if they got hit you know with with more punishment being on probation. Mm-hmm. I mean it would desolate the the football program. You're, you know, um, the letter uh, pointed out you know mentioned the the phrase lack of institutional control. Tennessee dodged that with the Pruitt mm-hmm. stuff, and, and not only that, but um, you know they fought the failure to monitor. They fought um, you know they wouldn't take no for an answer on on, on avoiding a postseason bowl ban. So. Um, yeah, I, I mean, and and Plyman pointed out pointed this out in her letter is that you know when when we're wrong at Tennessee we admit it and and they have they have evidence to to prove that they have precedent to say, you know yes maybe we use it to you know whether or not they use it to get rid of proof for free or not it still cost them you know they got fined eight million dollars they spent over a million dollars in legal fees at the end of the day you know what the cost of what it took to fight wasn't that different from what it would have said to just pay Jeremy Pruitt to go away with nothing. So, uh, with no, with no NCA case. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, and, and that to me says a lot because, uh, you know, if they felt like they had done something wrong, you know, they, they've shown their actions in the past to, to have been to admit it and, and try to deal with it. And, um, you know, I tend I think Tennessee got criticized some for, you know, rolling over for the NCA and all that stuff, but, you know, this this leadership fought for what they thought was right with that Pruitt stuff, and they're going to do the same thing here. I think that's pretty pretty clear. You know, they they tried to get a negotiated resolution with the Pruitt stuff without a postseason ban. The NSA wouldn't accept that, so they kept fighting and took it all the way to the end to try to prove their point. So, um, you know, you, you couple that with a very clear stance of digging in, and, and we're not going to take, uh, you know, we're not we're not going to take whatever for, from the NCA in this situation. I, I think that that's pretty clear. Um, what's interesting to me is about what happens next is, uh, and we saw this with the, the lawsuit that led to the, the transfer rules being relaxed where players could transfer multiple times is that, you know, this lawsuit's going for a restraining order than an injunction. And it was interesting to me that when that came out yesterday, there were some national people that were like, well, it's going to lead to everybody. You know, there's going to be no rules on NIL and recruiting. And I'm like, that stuff's been going on anyway. So um, yeah, that that's maybe the next step to me. That's probably my, my three questions at this point are when does that happen in the court system? I don't know. I'm not a legal expert. Uh, I took one journalism law class in college. Uh, so yeah, I think we all had uh, to take calm law, right. To graduate. I think. Yeah. I took mine in the summer. So I got like the, the spark notes version of it, but um, yeah, that are any other States going to join? I would think Florida would have already joined by now, given that 
you know, one of their program, two of their programs already got hit. One of them's already investigate, you know, under investigation already. Um, and then is there going to be, as Ryan alluded to, is there going to be a notice of allegations? Um, and does the, does the NCA dare can try to continue this case while the, the legal side of it is, is, is out there and is very much going on. Yeah. As, as Patrick alluded to, you know, the, the weather, whether there's a temporary restraining order or anything like that, that Tennessee is seeking. And I think they put a, a, a date on that for pretty soon. Didn't they say next week? February they want- 6th. Yeah, 6th. Yeah. Which would be what? Tuesday. Friday. No, Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday. So, so yes. Yeah, so I don't they, know what day it is. Yeah. So they, they clearly want some action to be taken on this soon. And obviously part of that would be to head off a possible notice of allegations, because if it does get to the point of a notice of allegations, then this, then this becomes something that's no longer just talk and clearly is something Tennessee has to fight off uh, in terms of perception, negative recruiting that they already might face some of that even without one. Um, and, and we'll see, but I think Tennessee's in a better position to be able to defend itself on this. And I'm sure the, the lawsuit from the States, um, will we'll help them in that regard. And, and Tennessee, to its credit, has already kind of tried to head this off at the past by getting on the phone with, with some recruits and, and, and making sure they get to hear it from them first uh, and that they don't start to hear it from other schools, uh, kind, of, kind of having some fun with it and filling in the blanks the way they, the way they did in some cases when Tennessee was under investigation a couple of years ago. Um, so, so, yeah, that, that's, that's the interesting part here is what, what happens in the short term while we while we wait to see what kind of big picture impact this has uh, in the long run. But uh, it also just the, the NCAA, and, and this is obviously where Tennessee and a lot of schools are, are, are fascinated by, by what the NCAA is trying to do here. Um, fascinated, probably not the right word, but <laughs> um, yeah. angered obviously about what they're trying to do. Obviously there are some people going to the NCAA and a lot of people would argue that it's the have nots when it comes to NIL, right? It's the programs that, do not have the ability to compete as much or, or in some cases, you know, like Alabama and, and, and Georgia, the schools that has something to lose um, from NIL, which threatens to level the playing field. Uh, obviously that's, that's been the, you know, the cynical view of why Nick Saban and some people like that were, were speaking out against NIL and saying, we've got to get this under control, but the NCAA is attempting to legislate this in a way that is that is infuriating to people uh, involved in it at, at multiple schools, because you know again they had nothing in place when this stuff all started. Collectives were were being put into place, and and no one had any idea what they were at the time. And the NCA was way behind, um, and and now they're trying to go back and again put the toothpaste back in the tube, and they're doing it by going after schools and throwing retroactive penalties at them potentially. Uh, and and if they're if they're trying to draw the line at you cannot have NIL discussions related to recruiting because any such discussions are an inducement. Boy, that's a heck of a line to try to draw uh, with yeah. the landscape the way it is right now. So that's that's the thing. You know, I, I think everyone agrees that there's a certain amount of this that's just going to have to be baked in now. And obviously, you can't put many restrictions on this, but what you know. The NCAA has got to go after some things in like Florida state's case. Okay. You found proof that a, that a coach was directly involved. You know, he negotiated, he was discussing terms of an NIL deal mm-hmm. and, and drove a player to a meeting with a collective in situations like that. You can find wrongdoing unless they, un, you know, unbeknownst to us right now, unless they have some details like that on Tennessee. And from what I've heard so far, I don't think they do. I think Tennessee is under the belief that they don't have anything like that because they feel they've done everything by the book throughout this process, then they're kind of wondering, 
why are you going after Tennessee on this? And obviously it's just a matter of they've, they've got that high profile case, the, the, the Nico recruitment. Nico, obviously. Nico is always, if, if one of the, if, if, if one of these guys was going to be this from the beginning, it was going to be Nico. Cause everyone talked about it. It was set up that way. And, and it was the first, you know, it was really yeah. the first yeah. high profile deal. It kind of set the market for big time quarterbacks uh, uh, on the NIL scene. And it, it, it's just a, uh, it was yeah it was it was the opening salvo in, in figuring all this out and it, it showed people what's what's possible and there was a cynical view out there too I think from a lot of other programs that oh that guy would have never gone to Tennessee if not for that um, and so I think that drew some attention to it too um, fair or not at the time so uh, and and I don't think that's a, a fair reflection of his recruitment by the way but it obviously uh, is is you know the, the perception some people had at the time. So I think it drew a lot of attention, and, and that maybe caused the NCAA to look into it. But from what I understand, there are other things the NCAA has looked into. Um, I, we've mentioned this on the board, but they, they, they've been on Tennessee's campus for about a year now looking into this. Um, there's you know maybe not that entire time, but uh, off and on for the past year, this has been going on. So they've looked into a lot of different things from what I understand, you know what they've found and what they – Again, if they ever try to charge Tennessee with some of this stuff, I'll be really fascinated in seeing what the exact charges are. But right now, Tennessee's uh, under the belief that it has done nothing wrong and that, it, and that the NCAA is going with a lot of kind of circumstantial evidence. And, and from what they know about the case, I think they're just sort of in disbelief that the NCAA would try to move forward with it because it's pretty thin based on what their understanding of it is. I, I would be very surprised if – anything serious happens to Tennessee. And, and that's not to suggest uh, that there isn't risk involved because there is for Tennessee. If, if the NCAA were able to somehow win this case, uh, which seems to be headed to a court of law, uh, if, if they were able to, to win, then okay. Like, I, I guess there are some, some bad things that, that could come of it because uh, Tennessee would technically be a, a repeat offender. Uh, and the the re- recruitment of Nico was was widespread. It was very public. So you're a repeat offender. There, there's a lot of details of the the Nico deal and, and how it all went down out there through multiple outlets at, at the time. Uh, different attorneys speaking, Spire speaking, uh, people reporting their own news. So you have quote unquote evidence. You're a repeat offender. The NCAA is threatening Tennessee with level one and level two violations that they could face. And as Dondi discussed in her email, threatening them with the, the whole lack of institutional control charge, which is the most serious charge that can go against a, a university. So I, I think this is all a, a power grab by the NCAA. I think they're trying to reassert themselves as the power figure in college athletics. And, and I think what is going to happen is that they are quickly going to realize that they are on the outside looking in because from the jump, they have not established a clear set of rules. And even from the jump, even if they had established a, a clear set of rules, they've waffled back and forth on how they want to police things. So they can threaten all these level one and level two violations and and lack of institutional control. I don't know how it sticks a, because I have not heard that Tennessee has done anything or that Tennessee is worried about getting in trouble because of something that have happened. As we have all discussed 
plenty of times up until this podcast, Tennessee feels good about where it's at given the situation, which is why they went on the offense so aggressively. So not only does Tennessee not feel like they've done anything wrong, the NCAA doesn't have a leg to stand on in pursuing these punishments because of how they have handled NIL this entire time. And by not having a set of rules or guidelines set in place, by waffling back and forth how they wanted to establish what the rules are. And now they're just, it seems like they're cherry picking, kind of like what you talked about, Wes. They're, they're cherry picking who they're going to look into. And part of that is because of how public Nico's recruitment was mm-hmm. and the deal at the time. But I, I just have a hard time believing the NCAA is going to uh, reassert their power or have any form of victory when they don't have a leg to stand on. And these schools and states, as I mentioned earlier, they're they're all going to unite and, and gang up on the NCAA, so to speak. And I just have a hard time seeing how that's going to pay off for them in the long run. The, the NCAA it, doesn't have a leg to stand on legally because it never uh, does. It's it, it's you know if you extend the Austin ruling, saying that a, a player can't meet with a collective to see what his NIL opportunities would be at a certain school. If you eliminate that, if you try to restrict that, that's a restriction on the fair, on on the competitive fair market. And and that's the argument that was made in, in the lawsuit from Tennessee and Virginia. And we'll see who else joins on, but that, that to to Ben's point, when you say that NCAA doesn't have a leg to stand on in terms of the investigation in Tennessee, I understand that further. So I don't think they have a leg to stand on legally because um, the, the, and that Supreme Court ruling was unanimous. That was, you know, we can get, we don't want to get too far into politics, but has the Supreme Court ever been nine nothing on anything? Not a lot. <laughs> not nothing. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, political thread delete, but um, like, you know, they were so unanimous on the NCA can't really enforce any rules that's going to limit compensation for athletes. Well, if you're saying that a player, if he's got three schools he's looking at, you know, he's trying to maximize his value. That's what everybody's trying to do. We're all, I mean, Four of us try to maximize our value with our employers. Um, and so, you know, if you try to limit that based on, okay, well, just because he's a, a recruiter, a transfer, he hasn't enrolled or signed or anything like that, yeah, that's still a, a restriction on uh, on the market. And and so that's why I think, you know, the NCAA, they, they tried to restrict how many times players could transfer. That got struck down. Um, that got an injunction that lifted. You know, Tennessee was had a couple guys leave because uh, that door was open. So, um, you know, to Ben's point about the NCAA not having like a stand on, I think that applies legally as well. Yeah, I think, and, and, and I think they're, I think they're taking that stance too, or, or, or you know, Tennessee is going after that because, or, or the NCAA's wording in that release uh, is, 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 is that way because they know what this lawsuit means. They know this lawsuit almost definitely is going to at best delay this process, but at worst shut it down because they, again, I think they know they have no leg to stand on legally, just like with the trend, the multiple, multiple transfers deal, you know, two time transfers and three time transfers are now immediately eligible for 2024. They didn't want that, but they backed down because they knew under the threat of legal action, they didn't have the ability to really fight that. None of this stuff stands up to legal scrutiny because the NCA's business model for years was based on, uh, a veil of amateurism that's not that that's not really fair legally to these to these players uh, who are putting themselves on the line to to do this and and that, and for years didn't have the ability to make money off of it. So uh, that's that's the problem here. And and one more thing to Tennessee's point, you know that <laughs> it can't be underscored enough what Dondi Plowman said. 
that the NCA is failing on mm-hmm. this. And one of the reasons they are is this case underscores their, their shortcomings because part of the issue here is that California had passed rules that allowed Nico Iamaliava to sign an NIL deal while he was in high school and, and allowed him to execute that deal during his recruitment because the NCA had no guardrails in place at the time. And that was several months after the Austin case uh, ruling came down. So the, the, this is clearly on the NCA, and this, this case in particular just underscores how they've fallen so far short of, of doing anything that could have gotten this under control because this is a case that, that the heart of the issue is this happened in a state or this, this main incident happened in a state that had to take action in its own hands because the NCA was doing nothing on what was ultimately the biggest issue in the sport at the time. And they just didn't, didn't do anything about it. Yeah. I'm thinking before we go to break here, that if the NCAA has any play at all right now, I think we'll see it pretty soon. It would come in the form of a leak of other things they have against Tennessee. And it would not come from the NCAA uh, officially it would come through the, I mean, we all know the the same guys. I mean, we know many of them. There are five or six reporters in the country who tend to get most of the NCAA scoops. It would probably be sent to one of them, one of those reporters, uh, one of the national guys from the NCAA, and they would lay out, that would be their PR move. They would try to get out there very quickly because right now they kind of get in the ass kicked a little bit right now. Not, not everywhere, but, but largely speaking, in the court of public opinion right now, not just in this state, but most places, they, they are losing it pretty badly right now. So uh, what do you do to that? You realize, oh, well, look, Tennessee was ready for this. Tennessee came to play. Tennessee's not backing down. This is not the pliable target we thought it might be. Look at all this. Here comes the lawsuit. Here comes all these statements. Politicians are involved. So um, we better play up something that we have. If we have any cards left, we got to use them now because that's the only way to keep this from snowballing. So I would imagine that we would see that come out in the coming days if there is anything there. Uh, Maybe, you know, either today, uh, Monday, perhaps something like that early in the week. Something is if they have it, I think will come out because if not, if the cards they're holding, Tennessee knows all of them and Tennessee's already combated them then they're in trouble unless they got something else. Now, if they got something else, I'm all ears. And I think we should all be all ears to that because we should want a fair result from whatever this is. But I don't know that they have it. Um, but if they do, I think we're going to learn that pretty soon. And and I I do think if, if the NCAA really fights back on this, and I think they're banking on that they're not going to, I think they're, I think they're really counting on this being – uh, a case where they're they're filling the void and their and their voice sort of takes over the narrative on this case because the NCA often doesn't get into a war of words publicly on this. It was a little bit unusual for them to put out the statement on yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, the, the 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 plaintiff usually you know yeah does you know what I mean? Like there's rules in court. Like if they're usually if the prosecutor is going to hold stuff back, usually has to. Exactly, and, and yeah, that's where you see controlled leaks. You know, even in court cases and things mm-hmm. like that, you, you see that. And to your point, that's that's probably a good expectation of what would happen next. But I'm not sure they're they're going to get into that. Um, but I, I fully expect, or 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 I think there's a very good chance that if the NCA does proceed with this case, if there is a notice of allegations, you know, I'm not sure at what point this would happen. But 
I, I think, you know, in addition to other states joining in, I wouldn't be surprised if the university or Spire Sports or both decide to take legal action as well if this continues to go further down the road. I think that's a possibility, too, if this were to be a case where the NCAA just decides to proceed anyway. So this, uh, to Ben's point earlier, this has a long way to go. I don't think the NCAA is going to go on the offensive and just, you know, fire right back with some uh, some attempt to show that they've really got something on Tennessee. Because, again, I, I don't know that they do anyway. Um, but regardless, I don't think that's going to be their path. And if they do, I think Tennessee is prepared to fight back on that front too. We will see. Uh, there's a lot here. We, we had to talk about it today because it's out there. We didn't want to, you know, none of us are lawyers. Not, none of us have, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, JD after our names or anything like that. We, we you know, we're, we're not I've watched a lot of law and order. Though. That's, that's true. Uh, but I did stay at holiday Inn last night. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, we, we, we're not lawyers, but you know, you cover college athletics, you sort of have to know a little bit about a lot of things. So we're not totally ignorant of this stuff. We've been down this road before, but you know, maybe at some point we'll bring a lawyer on the podcast and be like, Hey, will you explain this to us in a way that we humans can understand? So, but I think we've gotten the basics out there. We'll see where it goes from here. Uh, I imagine this is going to be a thing. I think it's going to be a capital T thing for a while. I don't think that there's any plans to not play Nico Iamaliava or anything like that. I've not heard one thing about anything like that, anything of that sort. Um, but we'll have to follow this thing. We'll see how long it lingers, how long. Uh, I imagine Heupel will be asked a lot of times about it, and he'll probably say nothing because that's just how Josh Heupel is, most likely in front of us. So, um, But we'll we'll keep on keeping on with this. Y'all got anything else before we go to break and come back and talk hoops? Y'all got anything else? I think we're good, uh, and 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 nothing I've heard. I mean, like you said, no no timeline, but I don't think I certainly wouldn't think that we're going to see any finality to this anytime soon. This is going to be a drawn out process in all likelihood. I agree. Well, I think we'll leave that there for right now, and then we'll come back. And whoever's left on this podcast, we will be talking a little bit of uh, Tennessee basketball. Obviously, not the kind of start to the week Tennessee wanted. Not the kind of start to the week Kentucky wanted either, to be honest. Um, but nonetheless, a very, very, very big game happening in Lexington on Saturday. We'll come back and discuss that here in just a moment on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Hashtag ad. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 
Welcome back to the GoVols 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever product, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. Wes Rucker and Ben McKee are left here for you on a Thursday morning slash afternoon talking now Tennessee basketball after talking some of that NCAA stuff in the first segment. Got a lot to talk about with the fifth rank for now, Vols. Uh, lots to talk about from South Carolina, lots to talk about kentucky coming up before we do that though just a quick reminder quick request from our end you can take about a minute out of your day right now and rate review and subscribe to this podcast we really would appreciate that if you're just listening on the website at govals247.com uh, there's nothing wrong with that we love you no wrong way to consume this podcast does help us out more though if you go in there on apple podcast spotify iheart TuneIn, stitcher Anywhere in the world you can cast the fine pod, you can find this GoVoss 24-7 podcast. We do this for free, and we're happy to do it. No complaints. But since we're doing it for free, I don't think it's too much to ask to go rate, review, and mash that subscribe button. Please, please, please helps us out a good bit if you do that. And tell everybody you know also. That really helps. If you're already doing that stuff, thank you. We love you. If not... I award you no points. And may God have mercy on your soul. Ben, we saw some uh, some duty shorts basketball on Tuesday at, uh, at Food City Center. There's no way around that. Tennessee had one of those nights where uh, nothing went in the basket. Tennessee, uh, you know, South Carolina basically had to get like an inside straight draw to have a chance to win that game. And South Carolina, to its credit, did absolutely everything it had to do to give itself a chance. Um, but that wouldn't have mattered if Tennessee hadn't have missed at least 10 layups slash dunks and gone 12 for 20 from the free throw line. But that's what happened. And the Vols lost 63 to 59. Not a game you want to lose, especially on your home floor when you're competing for the things Tennessee's trying to compete for. Not the end of the world at all, uh, but still a frustrating kind of turd burger of a Tuesday. Well, I don't think South Carolina played its best basketball or, or followed the exact formula to an upset because they missed a lot of open shots as, as well. They they didn't play great offensively, and uh, they, they kind of allowed Tennessee to hang around there until the very end and allowed Dalton Connect to make that final push and avoid the fat lady singing because they, they missed so many open shots. And uh, they, they did they were eventually able to hit a couple of daggers, uh, a couple of corner threes, just really Tennessee did hold South Carolina under I guess it was 65 points which Rick Barnes talked about that being their goal game in and game out and uh, that that is a good number don't get me wrong but I I would like to see the open three-pointers cleaned up a little bit there there are far too many three-point attempts being taken uh, by South Carolina in that particular game and then I do feel like some of that existed uh, against Vanderbilt so not a, a season-long issue but an issue of late and it was certainly an issue um, on Tuesday against South Carolina and, and not only were the open threes an issue because of switching and, and whatnot what also led to those open threes is Tennessee really struggled to keep their man in front of them mm-hmm. and there were several times where this guy or that guy was beat off the ball blown by the entire defense collapse into the paint, and boom, you've got somebody wide open in the corner for a three. So uh, I didn't feel like the on-ball defense was as as good as it typically is. Uh, I, I felt like the switching really got them in trouble at times, and Rick talked after the game about how some guys were switching at times unnecessarily and, and switching in situations where they have never been taught to switch, just kind of doing their own thing. 
And and so, yes, you, you held them to 63 points, and, and that's a great number. I, I don't know that that number is indicative of how the defense performed. Um, it, it, it could have been a whole lot worse if South Carolina makes those shots. And, and I, I don't know that, oh, well, you, you know, you got to kind of let them make shots, make them beat you. I, I get that, but they're also college basketball players in Division One playing in the SEC. Uh, a, a guard or a wing at this level, for the most part, should be able to knock down the majority of those shots. So I, I don't know that I necessarily agree or like that mindset. Oh, they didn't make them, so it's all good. At some point, somebody's going to make them, and it's not going to be all good. And also, Rick talked about how early in the game, the defensive rebounding, each important veteran that was on the floor early in the game gave up at least one defensive rebound when they spent numerous amounts of times time leading up to the game discussing how important rebounding was going to be and, and how good South Carolina is at rebounding the ball. And they come out and – Every single important player that played, according to Rick Barnes, gave up at least one rebound on the defensive side. So I, I don't know that it – I know I'm spending a lot of time on the defense here and the offense was ugly, and we will certainly talk about that. Not saying that the defense was the issue. I think the the entire – both sides of the floor was an issue uh, on, on Tuesday night. And if, if South Carolina makes – uh, a, a couple more shots that they probably should have. That game's not as close a, as as the final score ended up being. So um, they they kind of got away with one defensively, I think. Yeah, the this the, that corner three has it's it sort of if you're gonna get this Tennessee defense, that's often the place to do it because as you said, and we saw this some early in the season until they got it tightened down. When guys are getting beat off the dribble up top. That leads to collapsing defenses. That leads to ball movement, kicking out. And what almost always happens is whoever's in the corner is open. That's just how that defense, that the way Tennessee plays defense, the way that they, you know, the switches and the matchups and the way that they collapse, it's going to leave somebody in the corner or like corner wing area wide open. That's what happens when the defense has to collapse like that. And that does happen when you don't keep your guy in front of you. I do think South Carolina, from the pure rebounding standpoint, I'd have to go back and watch the game. But when I was watching it live, I just thought South Carolina was boxing out exceptionally well on on both ends. It was not giving Tennessee many opportunities to go in there and get the ball. And maybe that is not taking shots at the right time because – you, you need to make sure your guy, you know, they talk about shooting it in, in rhythm of the offense, right? And that means that taking shots that where you normally take in rhythm, where guys know to be near the basket so they can go chase an offensive rebound. Tennessee took a lot of shots where there was nobody down there to go get the offensive rebound. Nobody could get in there in time to, to make a, make a play on the ball. And sometimes it was just a weird bounce or whatever, but a lot of times I just thought it was more South Carolina doing good stuff and Tennessee doing bad stuff. I think Lamont Harris had a really but good But Rick plan. Barnes isn't going to have that mindset. I agree. I agree with that too. I very much agree with that. I just thought for me, <clears throat> it gets back to a couple things that I talked about, and we don't have to hash over it too much because we've already discussed this. At least I know I did in the postgame stuff that we did the other night. But when Zakai Ziegler and Toba and, and – um and Jonas Adu don't play well, we see what happens. Uh, it's so easy to take for granted 
everything Zakai Ziegler does on both ends of the floor, how freaking good he is most of the time. He dictates the tempo of games. He makes the defense, the offense uncomfortable. He gets Tennessee's offense going where it needs to go. He moves the ball quickly, gets it where it goes, and whoever he's guarding on the ball almost never gets by him. And it leads to rushed possessions, bad shots, turnovers, and South Carolina was able to have more success against him than most people do, and that changed the game. So I don't know if maybe it was just a quick turnaround. Uh, maybe he just had a bad night. Maybe South Carolina just had a good matchup for him because Vandy gave him some problems too. Vandy has a couple of really quick guards who at times gave him some issues. So it's been a couple games in a row now where Ziegler's not been at his best, and that has to change quickly. Uh, they This team without him is not nearly the same as this team with him locked in. 1000% agree. Uh, and and not that the loss is squarely on the shoulders of of Jonas Adu and, and Zakai Ziegler. It's it's not. Jemai Meshack and Jordan Ganey combined for zero points. Uh, Josiah Jordan James now one of 15 from three in SEC play. Uh, Dalton Connect, he, he ended up getting it going, and, and the final numbers ended up looking really good. Um, but it, it was an inefficient. First half, first 25, 30 minutes, I felt like, for Dalton. And then that that last spurt kind of corrected those inefficient numbers. And credit to Dalton. Not not trying to suggest that 31 points and giving his team a chance to, to win there at the end, shame on him. Uh, but I, I'm saying it, it was even somewhat of an off night for him early at the free throw line for a second straight game. Uh, so I'm, I'm not – putting the loss squarely on Zakai and on Jonas. There are others who could have stepped up and helped Mm -hmm. while those guys were struggling because, again, everybody is going to have a bad game. Yeah, It's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's sports. They're allowed to have bad games. I would say on on a 30-game schedule, you're probably with with the Zakai Zieglers and and Jonas Adus of the world. I'd say you're looking at four to five bad games a season. Even for those guys who are playing at an all-SEC level, Mark Sears did not look good in Knoxville, did not look good for 35 minutes last night in Athens against Georgia. Like, the best of the best, they're going to have off nights. It just happens. That's part of sports. Uh, So somebody has to step up and help them, and we can talk about that next because I know that is a talking point. Uh, and I do think Santi Vescovi, I thought he was the only one that showed up from start to finish. I like, I what, Santi, I, I like what he did on both ends. I actually did. Yes, he was good on offense. He he was a spark plug, trying to spark the team, diving on the floor for loose balls. Um, I, I liked what Santi gave them, but that's a long-winded way of saying Tennessee's not going to win games, regardless of what Dalton does. Tennessee's not going to win games if Zakai Ziegler and Jonas Adu give you practically absolutely nothing. And in Zakai's case, he, he gave them practically nothing uh, because he may, did not make a single shot from the field. He had two points on two free throws, did not make a single shot from the field, three assists, two turnovers, if I remember correctly. So Zakai pretty much gave you nothing. Jonas gave you six points, but uh, by the standard that Jonas has set for himself this season, that, that wasn't a Jonas Adu game. So... Uh, they they have done a great job, especially as Dalton has taken off here of late. They have done a great job of co-starring with Dalton. And when they don't co-star, or not even, they, they don't even have to be all SEC 
level players alongside Dalton. They just can't give them absolutely nothing. And on Tuesday night, they gave Tennessee absolutely nothing. Yeah, Ziegler should have had probably four more assists, at least three, and maybe four or five more assists. There were a lot a lot of those missed layups were passes that he put right in stride to somebody and somebody just missed a layup. One of them went a walk, I had to put it back. One of them, a couple, two of them to A do early. Um, you know, that's three right there in the first couple minutes that that were assists that that should have been and weren't. But um, yeah, and, and I think we need to be honest, Ben. If Dalton Connect hadn't been just one of the best players in college basketball and an absolute freak of nature, Tennessee probably doesn't even score fifty points in that game. They get run out of the gym. If if Dalton's he, not what you just said, and South Carolina knocks down some of those more open shots that I talked about earlier, they get completely run out of the gym. Yeah, because a lot of that down the stretch was Connect scoring against like two or three guys and just putting the ball in the bucket because he's a magician, and and that's. I don't think we need to rehash that offensive debate because I think um, we know now that it still could be an issue. It, it could be at times you're going to have to play through that. Um, but I'm not. I'm not in a panic mode. I think if it happens again, if they lose like three games in, in a quick stretch, something like that, then maybe I'm. I'm entering woo panic mode. I'm not anywhere near that. I think it's a bad night, and then we'll see what happens this weekend because Kentucky. And this might not be good for Tennessee, but Kentucky did not play well either uh, in the midweek game. Kentucky lost at home to Florida in overtime, and you know those guys losing twice one week in rough. That doesn't. That's not a common thing. I think that it might have helped Tennessee in the standings that Kentucky went ahead and lost that game to, to Florida at Rupp Arena. I don't think it does much to help Tennessee on Saturday. I think that Tennessee's not going to be the only angry team entering that building Saturday night. I hate how much I'm agreeing with you on the second portion of the podcast. I, I I agree with that line of thinking as well. I, I don't I don't like to see teams win or teams lose a game that they should not lose prior to whatever team going into that building or, or even just playing that team in, in general. Me me as a Steelers fan, I, I don't want to see the the Ravens, the Browns, the Bengals. I don't want to see them lose before I play them because I, I do think when, when you lose a game, I, I think you are woken up to what needs to, to change. And it's easy to gloss over things when you're winning and uh, it, it wakes you up and it's a reality check when, when you lose. Now, I, I do think Tennessee is – is going to be a pissed off basketball team and a, and a desperate team in a good way going into Rupp arena, obviously because they lost to South Carolina. Vanderbilt wasn't the cleanest performance. Uh, so I, I think it's good that Tennessee is not going to be too comfortable or lackadaisical going in there thinking that everything's a okay. And, and they're just going to walk in there and, and beat them by 20. I think it's good that Tennessee has had a reality check this week and, and knows that it that it has quite a bit of things that it needs to work on. And uh, Kentucky's facing that same reality. I, I agree with you. I, I don't like to see teams lose before uh, your team plays that team uh, because now now Kentucky's going to be desperate as well. One of these teams is, is going to have an 0-2 week. One of these teams, they're going to have to deal with their fan base. We know what Kentucky's fan base is capable of when they're angry. And uh, there, there is a segment of Tennessee's basketball fan base that loves to pile on. They, they seem to can't wait for things to go wrong. And when things do go wrong, they're very loud about it and cannot wait to pile on. So 
you're going to be dealing with a pissed-off fan base as, as well. One of these teams is going to be dealing with an 0-2 week and a pissed-off fan base on, on Saturday night and, and into Sunday. So I do think both teams are going to be desperate, and if Kentucky had won last night, they're not as desperate uh, to to rebound and, and avoid the same thing Tennessee's trying to avoid. So I, I do agree agree with you there. Um, it, it's going to come down to matchups in this one. Kentucky still terrible on defense. Uh, and and that should excite you if you're a Tennessee fan, considering Dalton Connect is on your Tennessee basketball team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it'll be fun to see what he can do against a, a bad defense and inside of that building. But Tennessee will still have its hands full defensively because Kentucky, I believe they're 74th in defensive efficiency on Kimpom. They're 10th offensively. Offense is not the issue for Kentucky. And, and they, the tempo and the tempo is fast, like two, like like one or two that, seconds. In the that ball's benefits the bucket. Tennessee, I think. Yeah, no, I'm just talking about like anytime you miss a shot, if you don't get out uh, for for your 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 defense fast break, like they're gonna, it's gonna be one or two bounces and it's by you and it's at the rim for a dunk. Like if you turn it over, it's two points. Turn it over, it's two points. So you got to be careful there. Um, but yeah, I think you're gonna get open shots. You're gonna get open shots. It's just are you gonna make them? Because Kentucky gives open shots to every single team that it plays. Like Georgia almost scored a hundred in that building. Like you're gonna go in there and get shots. Even if they're fired up to play you, even if they have more juice than usual to play Tennessee, they see that orange, they see Dalton Connect, they have a little bit of extra oomph to them, you know. And Barnes and, and Calipari know each other so well, they know the tendencies that the other one has. So they're gonna be scouted, they're gonna be ready to go, they're gonna have plans, they're gonna throw people at Connect. They're, they're going to maybe even mix some zones up in there. They're going to do some different stuff, right? But you're going to get open shots because they just don't really want to defend most of the time. So you got to make those shots. And then when you miss, you have got to get back. Even if you make, you got to get back because you they will outlet the ball. Like their advanced passes, outlet passes are very, very good. They are very well drilled in that area and they are very athletic. The ball is getting to the rim quickly if you don't stop it. So I'm interested to see that contrast um, in styles. Because it's not like Tennessee wants to play slow. It wants to open it up a little bit. It's not Tennessee of a few years ago. It's Tennessee now. But I still think Kentucky wants to play at an even faster pace. And they feel like they can outscore you. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. There's a lot of – both those teams can also play a lot of different lineup combinations they have they can go really small they can go really big there's a lot of chess matches within this game itself that make it so fascinating and then tennessee can it avoid another crap start on the road tennessee has these moments and in the dean dome you go there and you do that you're not gonna win you know mississippi state they waited too long to get going and they didn't win the game georgia they had enough time vandy they had enough time we've seen this happen where they get off the bad starts on the road except for wisconsin and michigan state in that exhibition pretty pretty slow getting out of the gate and if they do that in this game, they could look up and it could be 20 to 5 or 22 to 3. And they they cannot probably come back from that. So I would advise getting off to a better start and I would advise, you know, making open shots. Yeah, and not leaving guys open because Tennessee's going to have its hands full defensively. And this Kentucky team will make you pay offensively in a way that South Carolina was not able to make you pay offensively and uh, Tennessee's going to have his hands full Jonas is going to have his hands full in the post with three seven footers who are very athletic uh, and then Jemai Meshack Santiago Vescovi uh, Zakai Ziegler the, the on-ball defense must be better this game because uh, Reed Shepard is a bucket Antonio Reeves is a bucket and, and they will get after you and it doesn't stop with them it's Rob Dillingham it's 
DJ Wagner, it's Justin Edwards. They, they, they have a lot of guys that they can throw at you offensively. So uh, I agree with everything you said. And uh, the, the defense, the, the details on defense need to be much better than they've been over the last week if they want to avoid, quite frankly, having 100 uh, put on their head inside a Rupp Arena. I, I don't think they'll give up 100, but giving up 80, 90 points to, to this Kentucky offense in Rupp is very possible if they're not locked in defensively, uh, which I don't think they were as locked in as they are capable of being locked in on the past two games. I agree, and I agree, and I, I didn't expect they would give up 100 points uh, in this game, don't think they would, but I, I didn't think they would give up 100 points in any game this season, uh, and they already did that in the Dean Dome against another team that was explosive and had athletes and could get out and run and cause you problems. So we shall see. Uh, it, it's um, It's been an interesting week, frankly. It's been a week that a lot of us uh, didn't necessarily expect on a lot of fronts, but here we are, right? That's the job. Head on a swivel. Be prepared. And uh, we we will see. We will see uh, where things go with the NCAA and then the, the lawsuit and uh, the investigation and all that stuff. We'll also see where things go with uh, Rick Barnes and his Vols this weekend against the Cats up in Rupp Arena. Well, it's a we will see. Uh, it's, a, it's a really, really interesting week, and there's been a lot going on. But uh, this week is sort of starting to, to get to the finish line, and, and we'll see Saturday where things are. We'll see where things are with the investigation going forward. And we'll have all of it covered right here on this Go Vols 24-7 podcast. So for everyone uh, who was here, which was the full staff for, for a lot of this episode, uh, I'm Wes Rucker, and we'll see you all next time. There's that button. And now I can say, Thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals 24-7 where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, but if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, you also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. 
And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys. This is Sandra Oreda from Attacking Third, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Golasso Network dedicated to all things women's soccer. With the NWSL expanding to 14 teams, the 2024 season promises to be bigger and better than ever, and Attacking Third will be along for the ride from start to finish. Before that, though, we'll be all over the CONCACAF W Gold Cup, where the U.S. women's national team is looking to clinch silverware on home soil. We'll also be keeping tabs on the winter transfer window, the Women's Super League, the UEFA Women's Champions League, and elsewhere. Coming to you multiple times a week with game previews, recaps, analysis, breaking news, exclusive interviews, and more. Attacking Third is your one-stop shop for the best coverage of the women's game. Download, follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Make sure you subscribe to Attacking Third.